0: Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled per usual for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on new and noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode really excited today. Dan Fronin on the show. Um, Dan, you are the CMO at Sendoso, which like this conversation from one marketer to the next, I'm just super stoked to bombard you with questions about uh, like some of the most creative campaigns you've seen in Sendoso, but we don't have to start there. We can start at the beginning. Uh, First off, welcome to the show.
1: Right on. Thanks so much for having me, Elias. I'm excited to talk shop and um, geek out with you. Definitely.
0: So I know from previous conversations, I mean, you have been a career marketer, right? You, you went in, you knew that you loved marketing and you've just worked your way up and to the point that you are at right now in your career. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I had a a couple years in my early career of doing like project management and some editorial work. I worked at a publishing company, but about three years into my, my career, I, I discovered marketing and just, it became this massive passion for me and I went and learned about it, went wanted to do every single marketing function I could. And then, you know, just follow, follow that journey of just passion about it and learning about it and then getting the muscle memory to be better with it and, you know, have the good fortune of managing teams along the way as well. I feel
0: like, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd imagine your time in project management is probably really beneficial because it helps you keep things on rails and organized. Is that what are there things that you pull from that time and that experience? Uh, 100% because I think one of the
1: things with marketing is like ideas are, ideas are great, but ideas are also really cheap, right? And it, and it really fundamentally comes down to like the execution of things. And the more you can have a rigor around that project management piece and operationalize your marketing, the more you can actually focus on ideation and the creative elements. Uh, and I used to have the same when I was younger in marketing. Um, and I don't think it was smart to say at the time, but I laugh at it now is like, I was the laziest marketer on the planet because I wanted to operationalize things. I wanted to, anything that could be set it and forget it from a process standpoint, I wanted it out of my face and I wanted to be focused on the the stuff that really needed my, my time and attention.
0: Totally, no, that's, if I ever get up on a soapbox about it, it it's always along the lines of, you know, teams will start obsessing sometimes about the creative and like just trying to make it perfect at the get-go and just not putting things out in the world at a, at a rapid cadence. And that's usually where those plans fail. It's like just not publishing fast enough. Um, cool. So now right, let's dive right into Sendoso just because I, I can't help myself. Uh, first off, so you joined a little over a year ago. What, I mean, what attracted you to the company at that time?
1: Gosh. Um first and foremost, it was the fact that I was a customer. Um and when the CEO reached out, it was just very intriguing. It's like, okay, this is sitting on my technology stack. It's actually helping me solve a real challenge that I have. And um I'd love to just go meet the CEO. Like, what do you have to lose? Right. Like go c- connect with the CEO, have an amazing conversation. Um and as and as I was going through the interview process and meeting the team, I I realized that they just had something very special from a a brand standpoint from the initial marketing team that they had hired their product market fit. And, um, you know, I just couldn't help myself. I had to go and jump in and be a part of it. Cause I knew it was something uh, special and, and very timely. Um, and it's been even more timely, uh, with COVID in terms of, you know, it's applicability and in, in, you know, all these events and business travel being gone. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. It's been a challenging ride, but, uh, fun
0: nonetheless. So, I mean, it must've been a shock to the system as it was for everyone else, but with with COVID hitting there, you, we all talk about, you know, there are businesses that have headwinds from that and businesses that have tailwinds from that. And, you know, you are lucky to be one of the tailwind businesses. Uh, how, but how did you embrace that? And like, what, what was your process for figuring out how to take advantage of that without, you know, like, it coming off the wrong way or I, you know, it's, everybody tries to be sensitive there, but you guys are obviously well positioned. So I'm curious to hear about that time in the company, which you must've been only a couple months in at that point as well. Yeah, it was like six months in, six or seven months
1: in. And it was interesting because um, we were right at the beginning of Q1 and our entire Q1 and Q2 strategy was predicated on going to a bunch of events. We, you know, part of our brand pillar is that we really believe that being, a, uh, a an ultimate kind of experience that lands on your desk. We want to be in front of our audiences as much as possible and not just digital. Um, and when our events started to get canceled, uh, we literally, um, I remember our head of events saying, um, you know, all of our events got canceled, now what? And our head of uh, of content said, well, we write about it. And that's, that was really our strategy for Ah, uh, COVID, and it was actually just kind of born out of the fact that we needed to figure out what we were going to do, and um, and the first thing we did is wrote a blog about all of our events got canceled. Here's ten things we're doing to engage our audiences instead, and that really became the platform for us deciding that instead of trying to go out and uh, sell ourselves as a hard sell, we were going to go out and educate the market. And you know, we're we're fortunate enough to where we. Um, we market to marketers, we market to sellers, we market to a lot of tech and tech adjacent companies that were going through what we were. So we took the education approach, um, and it, and it worked quite well for us.
0: So of that 10, like you had 10 hypotheses, put them out there and started executing. What were the, what were your three favorites now in retrospect, which were the most performant?
1: Yeah. So one was going and, you know, going to like highly curated kind of digital experiences, uh, which we've done a lot of. So we have like a lot of different offerings on the Sendoso platform right now, like virtual wine tastings, uh, some other things that we're releasing in October. Um, so we 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 embraced our own platform and we went out and did field marketing activities where we got people together and sent them wine ahead of time, had a sommelier in a Zoom meeting and just had a good conversation like we would if we were all together. Uh, the other one was, um, you know, taking what we were going to do at a physical event and uh, taking it and packaging it up as a digital uh, experience. And we had our own uh, virtual event shortly after um, shutdown started uh, called uh, The Show Must Go On. We got about 10 partners together, curated content, and brought the experience to people to kind of teach them what we were doing to keep things moving. Uh, And then the third piece was really um, kind of doubling down on uh, engagement and not thinking about people in terms of like where you're going to see them from a marketing tactic but more thinking about people and accounts and and how you're going to engage them holistically and and those kind of three things have really served us really well
0: so as a as a marketing leader i mean that that is hard to can be hard to keep organized and to keep a team or teams aligned behind one unified view of customers and prospects. How do you like to approach that challenge?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I mean, I think, you know, for COVID in particular, that the challenge from probably March 15th until the end of that quarter, the end of April, May, um, we went on to like a, a six, seven, eight week uh, marketing plan where we literally week by week by week looked at things. We had um, like a North Star, which was our revenue number. And we had a North Star, which was the virtual event that we did. Uh, and we really treated those early days as being as agile as possible, and then we transitioned into a three month plan like we traditionally would uh after that first quarter was up uh and then you know so that was how to deal with it in in the early days and whenever there might be some sort of crisis that you have to encounter but from a you know from a holistic business standpoint um there's been this whole notion of uh account based everything. And really uh, taking account based everything and really using that to define who your uh, target ICP is from an industry perspective, from a a size of company perspective, from a geography perspective, and then on down to like the people within those companies and getting your marketing sales and and customer success teams aligned to that entire uh, notion. Uh, and then that really helps marketing uh, vibe with the rest of the company and to be able to
0: achieve goals. So I, I know you're a systems guy, and you know the ICP and personas can be this moving target sometimes, right? Yeah. Or it can shift over time. How do you like to accommodate for that?
1: Yeah. So I mean, sure. yeah, it's it's got to be done in near real time. So you know, I'll take uh, COVID again when it when it hit. Um, I saw a list going around in one of the various sales communities that we're all a part of. And um, someone had published a list of like 60 sub industries and like a score from one to five on how they're going to fare during uh, an economic downturn, like we're uh, encountering right now. Uh, And the first thing was to take that and then match it against our database and and anything that looked like it wasn't going to fare well. If we couldn't identify that we had an entrance or a reason that, we were going to help them do as well as they could, then they had to leave our IS our, our ICP. We couldn't spend our precious energy on that. Um, when we knew that we weren't going to be able to help them. And then, um, secondarily it's like, it's constantly looking at win rates and the funnel conversions in those ICP accounts and how we, how we prioritize them. Uh, and we, at, at Sendoso prioritize them as tier one through three. So, You know, if you're doing it right, then you're actually going to see the reverse of up and to the right. You're going to see up and to the left where tier one is going to close and then two and three are going to close. And you're going to have that beautiful slope to know that you're prioritizing your time in the right way. Um, So we, you know, look at that data um, at least weekly. uh, And then at the end of every quarter, uh, you know, make any adjustments that we need to make.
0: I'm curious, do you, when you review that data, do you do that with sales? And, and when you adjust those you know, targets or adjust any kind of internal levers, is that done in, in partnership with sales? Or do you kind of as a marketing org make those decisions and then present and agree with sales? How do you approach that partnership? Yeah, so I mean, I'm
1: extremely fortunate at Sendoso to have a CRO counterpart that is just uh, about as good as they get. So um, he, um, he offers up the resource of the sales opt Organizations, So sales ops is involved in that conversation, marketing ops, myself, our SDR organization, uh, as well as like our, our chief operating officer um, just to, just to look at the data and validate it. But uh, by and large, like we, we all see the data, we're all data driven and we um, make uh, necessary adjustments, uh, which is, which is awesome. We, we have that, um, we kind of have that data framework that everyone trusts and we have the trust of the the people that are looking at the data and you know, making sure we get buy-in and then we move on.
0: That's really, that's must, that makes all the difference. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah. So, you know, you were, you were at Aptus during an interesting time as the vice president of global, global demand gen and sales development through the acquisition. I'd imagine there were some pretty big takeaways that you are, that are guiding you today. Curious what those are. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the interesting thing about Aptus is they
1: had, um, a different approach to go to market when they first started. They were very much um, embedded in the Salesforce ecosystem. They had a lot of really good, like referral business directly from Salesforce. Um, Maria, who was the CMO over there, um, just did a phenomenal job of growing the brand, doing a ton of events, a ton of field, um, and then the SDR team and kind of the demand generation piece was kind of predicated on a volume play. So you know, get ninety SDRs in a room and have them call down all these lists and then um, set up meetings and that that's that. Right. And, you know, as the company started to scale and um, you know, we had this uh, this machine going where marketing had to go do database email to create MQLs that would then go to the SDRs. Like you, you started to see the conversion rates falling off because we hadn't um, actually defined uh, our target market in like a, a, like a framework like we did at Sendoso. Um, So a lot of what what I was doing was actually working with our sales uh, operations org there. We're a much larger go-to-market team. There's like a hundred AEs plus in the field. Sales ops had, I think, six, seven people on their, their own. So we actually had to go and, you know, that sales org wanted to have the gut method where um, certain RVPs would just say, this is a good account because I said, it is, you have to trust me. I've been in this market forever. And then, you know, marketing and sales ops working together and saying, okay, from a data approach, this is actually a good fit. Uh, so my big learning there was that, um, you know, if, you, if you're in an early stage company, take the time to get the operational part right, because it matters. And that doesn't always mean um, going out and buying technology. It means just getting the framework right and making sure that you have a good methodology. But then also, like, it, it also means that when you're in a larger company, it's never too late to actually... Um, peel back and, and do it right if you have to. And it is possible to do that at scale as well.
0: So I've heard you say go to market a couple of times, and I love that you're using this terminology. It seems like there's an increasing push to describe the marketing motion and the ways in which teams organize and execute as go to market. What to you is the difference between go to market and marketing?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, go to market is a strategy. So, go to market is actually saying, in order to achieve uh, the business result that we need to, which on the revenue side is going to be net new revenue, it's going to be a certain amount of retention, it's going to be a certain amount of cross selling upsell so to really have that healthy SaaS business. It means, like, what are the inputs there and, and working backwards? Uh, and, not, and then, when you look at marketing, marketing without uh, the North Star of what those actual metrics are, is is really just kind of like scatter gunning a bunch of random things out there. So to me, it's like that kind of that connection point, right? Of how you take that male female plug and actually make it pump electricity or whatever you're trying to get through the wires.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like the difference between uh, when people, when leaders are like, okay, we need, I know we need to be doing content marketing and I know we need a field strategy and I know we need as instead of, yep. to your point, here's our North Star metric, how do we reverse engineer that? That is our go-to-market strategy. Let's go. Yep. Yep. Um, so now I'm curious. I mean, you are working for one of the hot, hottest uh, companies in the valley. You're pushing the needle in uh, all things marketing, all things really sales. It's both both sales and marketing uh, use cases for SendO. So, what what are some of the most creative or out there? Like, what's pushing the limits of the platform right now in a really cool, effective, creative way. Whether it's things that you're doing, campaigns you're running, or clients, Sendoso clients. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a couple that that always kind of come to mind
1: for me from a a, a customer standpoint. So, like my favorite campaign, hands down, which actually happened pre COVID and it still happens today, is Gong um, uses us to uh, what I'd call wake the dead. So if pipeline goes. Uh, dark, they'll literally send their prospect a lantern um, and say, hey, you went dark on us. <laughs> I want to make sure you're still there. Do you need help getting out of the cave or wherever you are, which I just think is freaking brilliant. Um, and then another one that I, that I love is it, it's from Terminus. And um, they're, they've done this amazing job of um, kind of being that kind of leader in the ABM space and really kind of going out with what it takes to do ABM. So they actually created an ABM cookbook as a thought leadership piece, but instead of just like sending it digitally or even just sending it physically, they included like um, cooking utensils and some fun stuff in there so that you can actually, you know, not only look at their ABM cookbook and have fun with it, but then some terminus branded little utensils that you can have in your kitchen as well, which I just thought was brilliant. Wow. Um, and then one that I I've, I've had a lot of fun with that was Sendoso for Sendoso, because uh, we use our product quite a bit as well, is um, we recently did as part of one of our product launches around uh, ABX or account-based everything is is really go out with that notion that personalization um, as like high first name is really not personalization. That's like all that can be automated at this point, it right? Yeah. yeah. So we we had a, a a campaign through our SDRs where I did a video that talked about our new product release that helps you personalize at scale. Uh, and then um, with an offer for us to send you more information on that. And the box and packaging was all high first there just to kind of make fun of that. Uh, but then also a can of spam in there. And it says, hey, don't you just don't you hate to get spammed? And then by the way, um, we can help you with this and some literature on how we can help them, as well as like some third party validation um, from some leadership stuff that we have uh, via G2. Uh, which resonated really well. I mean, that that was definitely a kind of a mid-market, uh, higher mid-market enterprise play where we got a lot of um, pretty big logos um, to the table uh, and it generated some decent pipeline, which was amazing. I
0: love that, the spam can. <laughs> I, I've got uh, the Halloween edition for Gong's uh, lantern is they should send people like a ghost figurine, yeah. something like that, and play off getting ghosted. Be very uh, seasonal. (laughs) Um, So now I I always love to ask like personal stuff just because, you know, we crank and crank and crank. And at some point it helps to, you know, take your mind off the business and uh, get creative and open up space for more energy. So what do you do to outside of work to have fun? Yeah. So, I mean, I have two
1: little kids. So one's three and a half, one's five. And um, my time outside of work is very much spent um, with them. Uh, whether that's swimming, whether that's hiking, whether that's just hanging out. And, you know, we have a, a Friday night tradition, which is called movie night. So, um, they're bragging to their teachers, their friends that they get to have a movie night with daddy every Friday. And that's my wow. religion. So Friday is amazing. And then, you know, just good time with, with my wife every weekend. Uh my dad recently retired and he lives very close. So him and I, um, are both ex-musicians. So, um, i picked up playing bass again. And my dad plays guitar and we're, we've been jamming pretty much every weekend for six months. So wow. kind of like an
0: amateur bass player again. So that's it, amazing. Just that kind of stuff. Just having a good time. That's amazing. I, one of these days I'm going to have to go back through my notes and all the musicians that I've had on the show, we need to have like a Zoom band. It's probably not possible technically, but it's just fun to hear of other people with creative outlets like that.
1: Well, I think it's interesting. I a lot of people in SaaS are actually kind of musical, which I I thought was interesting, particularly in like sales, marketing, and then a lot of founders I've realized actually play music. My last CEO was actually a drummer, which was fascinating.
0: Yeah, the uh, I had um, the the CMO at Envision on last week. And we were talking about like jazz piano and jazz sax. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is rad. <laughs> Not your typical SaaS chat, but uh, all right. Last question for you as we wrap this up. Um, who are some of the folks who have been either mentors or, you know, ins- inspirations to help you along to get to to the point where you are today? Gosh, that's a, that's a long list of people. Um,
1: there's some that are in SaaS and there's some that aren't. So, you know, one of my earliest... Uh, influences was uh, a lady named Gwen Bailey Harbour um, who I worked with back in the publishing world and she was actually a VP of sales um, and brought me into my first director level marketing role where I actually supported the sales org through trade marketing um, and I'll always be super grateful for that. She helped me figure out what my strengths were and um, how, to, how to basically progress in my career. Um, I think a couple other people, um, a gentleman by the name of Curtis O'Keefe who Um, Actually, helped me land my first tech job. Um, He was a a previous CMO and he's an entrepreneur. And then um, one of my early CEOs that I reported to, Steve Rayo, just really amazing at um, helping me refine kind of my VP of marketing and CMO chops. And then, you know, most recently, um, you know, working with Maria Pergolino over at at Aptis, uh, it was just a phenomenal opportunity to go to what I would call like demand gen school. She came from Marketo and just new kind of traditional demand gen, like the back of her hand and um, just learned so much from her uh, and am internally grateful. And then, you know, nowadays it's, um, there's just so many wonderful, like uh, peak community that is headed up by Sangram and uh, Revenue Collective and networking and talking to other leaders there has just been amazing as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, Dan... Great to have you on the show. Thanks for this conversation. It was a blast. Uh, Thank you so much. It was a blast.